The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows. Welcome to another episode of The Meter is Running. My goodness, Shira Springer, it has been more than a month. Since I know. our last episode. I know. It feels plagued, like we've been on hiatus. We're plagued by the summer blues, sure. Are we? Yes. I think officially we had that stretch. We were in the all-star break for a month and four days. But we're working out of it. And there was only one way to work out of it. I told you when we last had Bob Ryan on, I left here saying we need, we need a big-time guest with football season upon us. Yes. And we both looked at each other and said, I bet you we know the exact same person. <laughs> and, and it turns out And it we turns did. out we absolutely did. Chris Nowinski, this guy clearly needs no introduction. But, but you're going to give him one, one, right? Give him one anyway. <laughs> Good. I, I should call him Dr. Nowinski. Yes. That's right. official. Yes. Dr. Chris Nowinski. I knew you when you, you were just... I don't know, a practicing physician? I don't know. I knew you when you, I knew you, when you were just a football player, Chris Nguyen. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, he, he has a resume that I couldn't recite because we don't have enough time. But the Concussion, Concussion Legacy Foundation CEO, and now a doctor as well, doing unbelievable research, fundraising for an unbelievable uh, topic and subject that we all need to hear much more about. I saw you on the back of Sports Illustrated recently. Yep. I've seen you on Real Sports any number of times on HBO. And, Chris, great to see you. And also the fact that you're here on the eve of football season as we're days away here and just a day away from college football for that matter. But from where we sit today, have things improved in terms of concussion research and awareness? There's no question in the last decade we've made enormous progress in, in research and awareness. But, you know, the reality is as we come upon football season is we still have a long way to go before we can be sure that those players are going to be safe out there and and not develop long-term problems. And what, in terms of the new frontier of research, what is, that, what is the next frontier? So right now the, the, the next frontier is all about diagnostics, both with concussions and CT. So for concussions, we still can't diagnose them objectively. So we're still sort of most of the time hoping the player might tell us that their head's not right, that they can't see straight, but most of the time they're still not. We're, you know, the science is hoping to advance a blood test or a scan or an eye test or something that can help them recognize when the brain is injured. But we're still years away. Uh, the other side of that is the CT issue. We still can't diagnose that in living people, so we can't build effective treatments. And, you know, right now there's just not enough buy-in in the football community to try to prevent CTE. It's one of these weird things. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, what we used to call punch drunk, is entirely preventable. You will not get it if you don't get hit in the head, and especially if you don't get hit in the head thousands of times, which is usually the case. Uh, but we, we aren't buying into that in football enough, and that's why we're still, especially like college football, we're still killing each other in practice. We're still getting half our hits there. And so you know, it doesn't bode for a bright future for the game unless we really accept that you're not supposed to get hit in the head, so let's minimize it and at least save it for the games. So we, you talk a lot about the science and the research, but to me what you're describing about the buy-in is a cultural problem, right? Mm -hmm. it's, Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's a change in cultural culture that you have to affect. How do you begin to go about doing that? 
So there's a lot of strategies, and you're right, and that was something I realized early on when I got hurt, when I got my concussions with my WWE career in 2003. You know, I actually used to go to the Harvard Med School Library and try to read everything on concussions to try to find some miracle information that would get me better, and realized that the science was really already there. It's not like all this stuff is new, but we just didn't talk about it. Um, and, and so I realized we didn't have a medical problem. We had a cultural problem. People didn't want to buy in. And I, it was just relying on my sociology degree from undergrad. You know, now I have a PhD in behavioral neuroscience, so I can see it from both sides. And what we're trying to do is a lot of what we do is try to get leaders in football to, to buy in one-on-one. Like you have to spend the time or you have to have an open mind to get it. And then once you do, start talking about it. So, for example, we launched a campaign. The greatest thing we can do to prevent CTE is not change NFL or college. It's can we change the youth football game? And that really means getting rid of youth tackle. You get rid of those nine years that some kids are playing youth tackle football, you'll exponentially decrease their risk of CTE. So we rolled out a campaign called Flag Football Under 14 in January, and I rolled out Hall of Famer Harry Carson, Hall of Famer Nick Bonacani, and uh, Phil Volpiano, the, the, who's a terror middle linebacker for the Raiders, and said, look, that's one of the best, toughest players who ever played believe that kids shouldn't be playing. That's why you should start thinking about this. We do the same with coaches when we can get them to talk about this. And, and hopefully the parents will hear that message coming from leaders in football that this still isn't good for kids. Because it's really the, really the people you have to convince, though, is the mothers, I think. And yeah. I think it was Bob Ryan who was here about a month ago, and it he was, was saying yeah. that basically that it's the mothers that are going to lead the way in sort of reforming the culture. And, and boycotting. And boycotting, right. yeah, exactly. Reforming, but preferably boycotting. I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll vote with their kids. But, you know, what, what's fascinating to me in terms of the conversations we're having this week in football is that there's been a million headlines on high school football dying, right? But it's really only down. I saw something about Friday Night Lights and Texas football dying. Like, right. you know, participation is down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But it's only down, I think, 7% in five years. Which, when you look at actually what we've discovered and, like, the fact that we published a study that said um, the first 202 football brains we looked at, like 177 had CTE, it was 87, 88%. And even that only moved it, maybe, if that's what moved it, a couple percent. So I don't think, you know, that football is very resilient. And, and, and if football embraces this, it doesn't have to go away, especially at the high school level or college level. You know, if we get leadership at the college level like we're seeing in the Ivy League, there's hope there, right? You know, the Ivy League just banned tackling in practice, led by the coaches, but nobody is following. Nobody is following. And that's great because I've seen many stories on what Buddy Tevens is doing Mm -hmm. at Dartmouth. I think he's started a revolution, perhaps, I hope, uh, in terms of bringing no tackling in. As you mentioned, the Ivy League has banned it outright. But what what do you have to do from your standpoint to get coaches to buy-in? Is it just constantly pounding them with a message? You know, it is. I mean, a lot of the times that we're trying to get the message out, you know, we don't have a big budget. You know, this, still, this is still not a high philanthropy area, and there's still very little, like, government funding to for this prevention of brain injury. So it's a lot of earned media. And so luckily, the media has been a great partner, you, you know, you guys included in doing this now, in getting the word out that this isn't just some you know, plan to kill football. This is a plan to try to save football players based on what we're now learning scientifically about what we did uh, and how that affected their brains. Is there still the tough guy mentality, especially at the FBS level, the Alabamas and the in the in the Georgias and the SEC schools and the ACC schools for that matter, everywhere, the coaches say, wait a minute, this is football, this is about hitting. Yeah, it's it's a it's you know it, you you listen to what the coaches say, and it's ama- it's like sort of this amazing line they're walking, 
because you know when you talk to them privately they get it yep. you know they're concerned a lot of them have had buddies die with CTE they've seen how ugly it is we've diagnosed plenty of coaches players and then coaches with this but they know that they they're selling football as a tough man's game they're selling football is fearlessness and so if you're recruiting players, you don't want to be the, you know, it's harder to recruit if you're the guy who's like, well, you know, this might actually be killing these guys and I'm going to do everything I can so they don't die while under my watch. Like, that's not a good recruiting message. No. So. <laughs> Probably you know, not. So the mess, so, so they try to respect it, but while also saying, I'm not worried about it. Because of course, why would they keep coaching if they were that worried about it? Right. They, they sort of can't be. Yeah. If you're sending, if you are, if you know you're increasing every kid you recruit to your school, you might be doubling or tripling their risk of CT by the time you're done with them. That would be something that could trouble you. So you can understand how there's cognitive dissonance, but for the most part, the coaches have been very respectful of it. But I understand the position they're in, and it goes all the way down the chain. Like, like we, you know, when we want to get high school coaches speaking out who, who've told us they don't believe the youth tackle should exist, they're still worried to be the face of it because youth tackle is still their pipeline for talent. <laughs> Right. And then for college, high school is their pipeline, so they don't want to diss what's happening. So that's why we all sort of have to change as a culture together. It's, it's you know, like, like very, very other movements in this country. Yeah, I was going to say, to me it also extends to an extent to not only media, but fans. Yeah. You know, like people who aren't necessarily in the game, but who, who are watching it, who cheer the hard hits. It's interesting. I was down um, at Gillette, gosh, last season, and was just asking people coming out of the pro shop questions about how they feel about the current concussion situation and what do they think. And they didn't to, throw you out right away? <laughs> no, they didn't. I was in the parking lot, a safe distance away from the entry of the, of the pro shop. But what surprised me was, the to a fan, the response was, it's their choice. It's the player's choice. And they feel that these are adults, that these are adult men, and if they want to go out there and hit hard and entertain us, and then suffer the consequences 10, 15, 20 years, that's on them. And to me, that's also part of the problem because there's an expectation on the part of the fans, those hard hits, and then, you know, again, that cognitive dissonance, you know, like, it's not our problem. We'll cheer it, and, you know, we feel bad for them, but we'll still cheer it. Right. Well, you you bring up a good point. And that we don't, you know, we got to define what we're talking about when we're talking about football because I don't have any problem with adults playing this dangerous game either as, you know, as adults yep. because they actually have a union that, that educates them on this and then sets the rules to protect them. And they all agree this is the level of danger I'm willing to accept for the millions you're paying me. So it's like you, you can watch that and enjoy it and not feel guilty. The problem then becomes as you move down. Mm-hmm. Chris Borland just you know, had a big interview, a former NFL player who walked away after one season after learning about CTE saying, let's be honest about this. We all say even the college players know what they're getting into, but we all also know that the schools aren't telling them about CT, and they're only 18. And how many of these 18-year-olds do we really believe understand what could happen to them down the road if they keep playing? And the answer is, you know, a tiny, tiny fraction of of them really get CT. And then the question is, well, I understand you watch football because they're adults and they know what they're getting into, but why are you letting your 10-year-old play? Does he know what he's getting into? And the answer is, of course not. And then you have to ask, should you be allowed to give a child a brain disease? 
I think the definitive answer is that a rhetorical question? I mean, it seems like a rhetorical question, right? You don't need a Harvard degree to answer that, do you? Uh, No. (laughs) No, you don't. Even though you both have it. The Ithaca kid can answer it. No. (laughs) You have your own answer right there. I have my own answer. Chris Nowinski, Dr. Chris Nowinski is our guest from Fenway Johnny's on Brookline Avenue outside Fenway Park on a sparkling Friday evening. We're here. Cool Friday. Tremendous establishment. If you haven't been to Fenway Johnny's yet on Brookline Ave, it is the place to go before and after a Red Sox game, a concert, any event at Fenway Park. If you're having lunch, a business lunch, if you're just walking around Boston, check out Fenway Johnny's. Can I tell you my my, uh, original Johnny's down, you know. uh, West End Johnny's. West End Johnny's. (laughs) Me and uh, a couple buddies rented out their downstairs for a couple Halloween parties back in the day. (laughs) Oh, my God, did they put on a good time. (laughs) Well, well, we got our producer, David Yaz, here, who's who's gearing up for a huge party here. Thank you for that uh, segue, Chris. Yes, um, my 50th birthday will be here at Fenway Johnny's October 6th, and we're going to... It's a costume party, rock and roll costume party, and we're going to raise some money for autism research. And you guys are all invited. Oh, thank you. I hope you. you'll be there, yes. October 6th. Totally. Now, at our, at our last Halloween party, somebody brought in a kissing booth. Uh, you know, are you guys going to have one of those? Sign me up. Uh, not until this moment, but I'm working on it right now, Chris. Yeah, for adults, they're amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. That sounds like, now that's a party. That's <laughs> the party. Carrie, my girl, get on that right away. Oh, yeah, get yeah, on that. I'm just trying to be real here. Do you want to publicize you know? that? <laughs> so you want to publicize that to the general public? They're all invited? Wait, not to belabor it, but how does that actually work? It's just, yes, it's please just, tell us. Uh, I think somebody who mans in, the kissing booth? No, you don't. Uh, 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 it was, it was kind of a kissing box. It was like somebody brought in a refrigerator box. With it, and they put a curtain on it, and you could just go in there with somebody if you wanted to. I think we're on to something here. Meter, let's talk No, there later. wasn't somebody offering free kisses. Uh, you it got was, to select the person it was you consensual. went into. Oh, you okay. had to select the person. Yeah, right. but you were encouraged to kiss if you went in there. That was the idea. What up, gangsters? From pod617.com, it's Shawshanked, the podcast. I'm your host, Uncle Buck. Nick Stevens. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. Matty Blake. Come on, do it. Kill me. It's Georgie Kip. This movie has everything. Kiss masks. Lee Trevino. Shawshanked. Movies that you get. Shawshanked by Shawshanked. I guess I just miss my friend. Shawshanked. Make sure to check for new episodes of Shawshanked regularly at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. You know, we're talking about football here, but one of the things, I followed you during the World Cup, and I followed you because there was always a video of some guy, you know, his head getting slammed to the ground or some really tough collision, and he'd be kind of looked at by some team trainer, and he'd be like, all right, yeah, you can go back in, or, heck, he might not even come out of the game. And you were just enraged yes. that this was happening. So, I mean, yes, you, you deal primarily with football, but... What are you seeing in other sports like soccer that, that's deeply, deeply concerning at all levels? You know, I mean, that to me, the stuff that you brought up in the World Cup was just. Oh, yeah. Off the the, you, you're watching, you've got the, the games being watched by the most people around the world. And you've got, like, the Morocco team doctor picking a guy up who was knocked unconscious because he, we knew he was, he was doing what's called posturing, which means his arms were ahead of him like he was Frankenstein. That's what we saw from the, he was the Houston quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Savage. Yep. And, uh, and then he picked him up, dumped some water in his head, slapped him in the face, and looked like he was trying oh, to convince God. him to go back in. And you're like, wow, this is 2018. So, oh, I, yeah, so I, this is how I get out my, my angers on Twitter. You know, at Chris Nowinski1. 
and you will find a lot of videos. And I, you know, whenever I have sports on in the background, I, or people send them to me now, which makes it a lot easier because I don't watch that much sports. But um, yeah, you, you will consistently see concussions mismanaged, and you will especially see, still to this day, um, even places like the NFL, the way they they get around the concussion problem is they've built a protocol. And the protocol says if they show any symptoms on the field, you pull them out, and then the protocol starts over and you test them. And if they pass the test, you can put them back in. But what they ignore is if you get hit in the head and you immediately show signs on the field of a concussion, you have a concussion, right? And there's no way you can prove you don't. And there's certainly no way with those, you know, really not good sideline tests that you can prove you don't. And so that player should never be going back in if they're showing very clear signs on the field. So, you know, the NFL is better because of the scrutiny that we've brought and the scrutiny that comes from the media, and you stay on them. FIFA's terrible because they can get away with it. Uh, you know, Major League Baseball is hit and miss, very hit and miss, because they don't like to pull guys out of the game. So they'll bring the trainer out, they'll go to the warning track or the catcher, and they'll chat. They don't actually test them. And they say, well, I came out here because I thought you had a concussion, but this conversation tells me you don't. And that's not how you test a concussion. If you came out there, you're going to have to pull them off and take 10 minutes to evaluate them, and they don't do it. Uh, NHL has their own, all sorts of problems. I'm not a fan of them on any level. No, they've always um, had issues. We have good friends. Yeah, we many actually, issues. If we talk local, we actually advise Major League Lacrosse, and we help them build their protocol. And they they are very aggressive in, in, in uh, pulling guys out and and testing them because they they don't need they don't want the long term. Well, it's funny the issues. discussions. I've had a few discussions locally with college football coaches about this issue, and they always are quick to tell me, "Do you know that the." The percentage of concussions in women's soccer is higher than <laughs> college football. You know, can I tell you something? I've met three NFL owners in the last couple of years, one-on-one. -on -one, yeah. And as soon as they figure out who I am and some oh, this concussion guy, did you know? the? It's it's like there's a memo that's gone to every single one of them. Did you know the <laughs> there sport probably with the most has concussions been a memo that's is gone to women's blank? Some say soccer, some say ice hockey. Yeah. None of them understand science enough to know, you know, if you run a thousand studies of which, which sport has the most, some of them will come to the top sometimes, but when you actually run a meta-analysis, football has way more concussions than any other sport per player. Like, I was going to say, what do you say when an owner says that to you? I mean, do you I laugh come, at them. You, okay. I say, well, you know, that's technically not true, and, and then I just go from there. But it's never, it never gets easy. I try to be polite. I've never turned into a fist fight. But my, my surprise is their absolute ignorance to the whole issue. Like I don't, and I and I, I, I worry about what they're being told in meetings about what's the truth. I know some of them are independently smart, and some of them are not independently bad people. And they, if they were told the truth, they might care. But by their actions and by the conversations I have, I haven't found somebody who actually gets it. What is the worst case scenario here? Do you see football? Eradicated in the next twenty years. I, I is that really the worst case scenario? Well, <laughs> from a fan of the game, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For, I'm sorry. For a broadcaster of football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thanks. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking out for. Have I shown uh, my true colors when it comes to football? Yeah, that's career suicide. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. From a totally selfish perspective. Of course. Yeah. But but or some people think yes. that that's going to happen. It, it doesn't have to, but I, I'll say that I think we're at a fork in the road. Like, the writing's on the wall. There's a huge problem here. And, we're and, and you know, I was talking to you uh, before this. You know, we're getting more brains than ever now, and still the vast majority are football because the football community, the retired football community, is seeing it, and they're yeah. concerned. There's a lot of guys with dementia out there, some of them very young. I got stopped at TSA you know, flying on Monday, and this very nice guy who was a college middle linebacker about my age was like, dude, like, 
I remember so many things, like, I want to support your research, whatever I can do, like, some, me and some of my buddies, you know, we're worried. This and, is a conversation and, with a TSA agent? Yeah, like, he pulled me aside, wow. and I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but very nice 50-50 chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, the fork in the road is, if, if, we if we make the changes now, they can possibly hold on and sort of prove, like, because the reality is, it, it would... We'll eventually be able to talk about this math in a big way, but if you made all the changes you should make, but it's really number one on that list is, is youth tackle, you probably lose 80 to 90% of CT cases. Like, it's actually that, that easy. High? Football is an immensely fixable thing, but, and it's partially because nobody plays as an adult yeah. for free because it's too dangerous. Everyone right. stops at 18 except for that small percent who goes to college. So it's fixable, uh, and if they choose to fix it today, um, it will live on, and then, you know, eventually we'll find that we're not nearly as many players are getting this. But the problem is what happens during that time. And so they're scared of that happening. And so instead of saying, we're going to make all these changes now, accept this as truth, and, and hope we make it better, they're saying it's not true, it's not true, to try to hold on to market share sure. as long as they can. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of I, everything makes sense to me if I think about it. If I look at every NFL, this is all driven from the NFL down. And if you look at every NFL owner, saying, I, you know, I'm probably going to sell my team within, you know, five to 20 years. <laughs> and when can I sell it peak football? Yeah. So it's like hold the line as long as you can, sell it to somebody else. And maybe it'll tip, it's but by that wait, point, wait, it's Until the ship problem. is sinking yeah. and then jump off. Until we, have, mm -hmm. until we have a diagnostic in living people mm -hmm. and we pull a high school team out and find out that already 20% of them have CTE and then no one plays this game again, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what they're facing. This is a race against the diagnostic. So, so basically they're saying, Asking you repeatedly, when is that blood test going to be accurate? When is that blood test going to be accurate? That blood test for CTE. Well, everybody, everybody wants that. I mean, some want it for one reason, yeah, for, I, for the we, knowledge. Some want it for is this time to jump ship, uh, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I wonder how many of them thought that through, but that's what's going to happen. For us, I mean, I think they're just like you know, who doesn't want to own an NFL team? Um, the <laughs> prestige, my God. <laughs> More like the billions, my God. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I don't. Uh, the rest of us want it because we can't actually do clinical trials on humans to treat it without a diagnostic. Because no, if you, no pharmaceutical company will invest in it because they're not going to give their drug to somebody who might have a different disease that looks like CT and find out it doesn't work because that'll just kill the drug but not actually solve the problem. You mentioned something interesting. I'm getting more brains than ever. And I'm wondering how over time your pitch has changed. If you're even pitching to people oh, and saying, give me, give me your brain, or if, if, if there's been a, a noticeable difference in the receptivity of former pro athletes, current pro athletes, when you're asking for their brain. So the, yeah, so there's two asks, right? So we're asking uh, living people and deceased people. Which one? You, which one do you want me to cover? I first? want them both. Well, <laughs> cover cover the living people because that's like you're actually pitching to people who have to contemplate the fact that they could have CTE or perhaps are already showing signs of CTE. Yeah. So we created like the idea that we. So I got I, I got into this because in 2006 I eventually I called Andre Waters' family and asked his parent his his sister actually if we could study his brain after he took his life to see if we could figure out what happened. And that became my life for many, many years of calling, you know, widows and parents, people lost somebody. I'd, I'd read the, I still actually read the obituaries every morning, but I don't, I'm not as aggressive about it because I, it was so painful. I tried to get out of that work by then getting people to pledge their brain while they're alive with the hopes that eventually they'd start calling us, that we were basically letting people know this is happening. So it started with Ted Johnson back in 2008. He and Isaiah Kazavinsky were the first two guys. Yep. 
two NFL guys. And then um, we sort of just did it haphazardly, and we got about 100 pledges a year. Now uh, we've really ramped it up with a campaign called My Legacy, and we just launched another one for military veterans called Project Enlist, and we're getting uh, 50 a week. 50 people signing up a week, and it's mostly digital online. I don't even have to do it anymore. You go to concussionfoundation.org slash pledge if you want to pledge to donate your brain and be part of the solution. Um, but I do also just want to ask every athlete when I meet them. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> yeah. it's, a good, it's a good icebreaker at a have, cocktail party, I, right? I have blank brain donation cards. Like credit, uh, We have a credit card machine that makes them to help promote it. Just because I'm literally trying to change the culture around like making brain donation normal for former athletes. Yeah. And it's finally paying dividends in the sense that we went from, you know, we're getting now, you know, you know getting a couple hundred a month. Plus, we're getting, we went from getting about 50 brains a year for many years to 100 last year to on pace for 200 this year. And I, we literally spent a lot Amazing. of our time announcing when famous athletes pledged their brain to show that there's momentum behind this. Very serious people are doing this. You know, I mean, we're, uh, Nick Bonacani last year, the Hall of Famer, he called us and said, call the press conference. I'm coming to Boston and I'm announcing I'm pledging my brain to you because I want you guys to succeed. And so it's really cool when things like that happen. For the actual brains themselves, I no longer have to spend like entire days trying to track down a family. Although I do for the scientifically interesting cases. Um, what constitutes a scientifically interesting case? I mean, how, how do you define that? Uh, a different sport, a different exposure, um, interesting symptoms towards the end, um, age. We want actually, we're very interested in younger cases who, di who died. Like an Aaron Hernandez. Like an Aaron Hernandez, yeah. But we actually want to see the real beginnings of the disease. And so there's a recently a high school athlete who passed away. And I you know, you know, spoke to his father about it. And, so it's... Um, or the athletes that we've been hearing about. I think there were two in college who committed suicide who were later, I think, later found... Right, Tyler Holinsky was one. Yep. Quarterback. Uh, yep. Yeah, and I wrote that... From Washington, Washington State. State. I wrote the, the point after piece for Sports Illustrated on that you right. saw. Um, so, yeah, th I mean, those are very valuable scientifically and also for awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if people would care to find out this person at CT, I might uh, spend more time and effort to get there. You know, we will never get to understanding the full prevalence of the disease, so it's not like we have to get every brain, like people need to know brain banking doesn't do that. But uh, what's great about it now is that brain donation is so normal in America now that, that everybody calls us. Like, we, I, we, I may be involved in 10% of our brain donations. The rest, like they're literally calling Boston Here, University. Here, my brain. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of it are very sad circumstances, but I think they get like four calls a day, and they, not everybody qualifies with our criteria, but uh, it's amazing to see how the, the country's gotten behind this. And it can is. you say again how, if people, if there are people out there, yeah, what's, the website? what's the website? Yeah, what do so they need to, you know, if they want to donate, see if they qualify to donate their brain? So our website's concussionfoundation.org uh, to pledge. It's foundation, concussionfoundation.org slash pledge. Anybody can pledge. We actually do want to get controls through this, and we actually just opened up the door to getting more controls. So it doesn't really... It, we, we, we can't predict the, what the criteria will be when you pass away in, in hopefully 50 years or whomever is listening. So sign up anyway, and, and then also and when you sign up, I'm going to also try to recruit you eventually to research studies you qualify for on living people so we can get answers more quickly. So it's a, it's a research registry. And you've shared very openly about your own concussions in the past with football and wrestling. How are you doing now? I'm fine. How concerned are you about We're not talking. I'm not telling you any of my secrets today. No. <laughs> I was going to say, is this an off-limits topic? <laughs> Nothing's off-limits with the wits. I tried to get life insurance, so I can't talk about this anymore because they dinged me on it. Uh, my rates are a little high. Um, they're starting to incorporate this stuff into Are that. they? <laughs> so anyway, you don't want to tell all your problems. No, but I, I, 
I'm feeling better than I have in years. I finally got right. my I, I finally got my concussion my headaches under some control. Although today was actually really a bad day, but it, these bad days are now more like every couple of weeks. Um, there was actually a doctor at Harvard who did me a, did me a solid and helped me figure out what was wrong with me. But basically, when he figured out what was wrong with me, he goes, well, "This means that that the part of your brain is really physically damaged and it's not going to get better. But if you change your lifestyle and other things and." You, you'll have a chance to, to, to be okay. But so I still, I have problems with headaches. I have problems with sleep. I can't work out hard or I get, I get sick. So I, 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 all my workouts are like at 80%. And if I sprint, like, I got to sit down. It's weird, which probably means I have some sort of vascular damage to my brain that we can't actually uh, diagnose yeah. because we don't have the test for it. So I'm just sort of in this place where I'm trying to help the, the, the real hardcore scientists who are in the lab solving problems help them do their work better. And Dr. Ann McKee has been a trailblazer in that. She's part of your uh, outstanding, re well, the head of your outstanding well, research Well, yeah, team. She, she's the research team. I'm part of her research team. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. You guys I, work so closely. What is that relationship like, and what does she feel is the next frontier? Uh, so Dr. Ann McKee, Boston University in the VA, just named Time 100, most important people in the world. Um, or whatever that exactly is, influential, I think. Um, she is, she's working on diagnostics. She's working. So what's interesting is that, you know, we're, we're so behind in this disease. You know, CTE was originally called Punch Drunk in 1928. But in 2008, we were the first academic center to actually focus on it. And so we're figuring out uh, genetic risk factors. Yep. Uh, that we're figuring out. Um, ways you might treat the disease. Uh, we helped, uh, the foundation helped fund a mouse model that and Dr. McKee and Dr. Lee Goldstein put together to sort of create CT in a mouse. Just take a wild mouse, hit it in the head enough, you can, you can basically give it mouse CTE. Is that right? It's not, like, wow. That's, that's what helps us tell us that, you know, you can, this is environmentally it's a causal caused. Link. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what proves the mechanism. Right. You bash them in the head and you watch the, the tau degeneration spread and you go, okay, this... This, this is, mouse has CTE. There are enough similarities between he, humans and mice that, that yes, this is. Uh, yeah, doesn't it like pigs and mice are very similar to humans? Yes. Like pig joints are very similar to human joints, and that's uh, what they I'm do. I'm not it. a and joint then, guy. But I, I, th I thought there's like a, those are like the two animals that, that no, get sure, a lot of testing. No, there's a ton of there's a ton of research on them. Yeah. Uh, but I any, I don't know anything. We digress. Anything above below the neck, I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, that's a that's a wild card there. Yeah, I, so, I could go we'll a lot of different ways with that. Leave that. All right, moving leave on. Um, yeah, so so it's all it's all about figuring out how to diagnose and treat and, and help and help people with this disease. And and uh, you know, new play, new thing we're even talking about this year is helping out caregivers, mm. right? So we don't realize how much families struggle. Yeah. You know, right now we're only seeing this in men primarily because Title IX, uh, until Title IX. We, we didn't hit women in the head as much in sports. We didn't allow them to play sports, so they couldn't okay. get hit in the head so much. Got it. So now that women are playing contact sports and playing a long time, uh, we're going to see CT in females as well. But for now, what we're seeing is wives and, and children and how much they struggle with having a dad who is you know, probably an ex-athlete, probably a big guy, uh, have guy, problems yeah. with aggression, have problems with impulse control, have problems with... Uh, memory and it, you know, I mean, the, the, it, it, it starts with dad forgetting to pick you up from school and just snowballs. And the stories these families tell, um, you know, well, um, God, I'm, I'm going to blank on his name, but there was just a great piece in the Richmond Times about 
like Jonathan Hines or it was, a, it was a former tight end, and his wife just said, like, just the headline was it was a nightmare. Jonathan Hage? No, it wasn't that. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. That's but right. um, but like she said, it was like a, like he was a great guy in his 30s and, and into his 40s, and then like he was no longer able to work. She became the the breadwinner, and then he was you know after a while he couldn't be left alone, and it was just everyone was always on eggshells around him because he would snap for no it's, reason. It's just horrific when you read it. Every 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 piece you read about it, it just gets worse. And the Aaron Hernandez thing, of course, locally here, yeah, percolated. Uh, a lot, and when you read that, uh, I know some people were skeptical. He's only 25 years old. How does he have such advanced CTE? When you read that, you said, "No, that's highly possible, right?" You know, it was interesting. He was the most advanced at his age, um, but it's entirely possible. Because I mean, there's even within the game itself, there's 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 ways the ways you play, and then there's also genetic predispositions for starting the disease. And having it progress, you know, we haven't figured them out, but they, they exist for every disease. And yeah. so he could have just had, you know, you know, all the all the worst genetic issues plus, um, you know, who knows what else added to it to make him really bad. But there's, there's no reason why he couldn't be, especially because he started young. I mean, he started like eight or something. Yeah. So you know, 15 years of football can rot your brain. I mean, that's sort of the answer, and it can change who you are. And so we can debate, you know, how long, you know, how it affected him, you know, till we're blue in the face. We'll never have secure answers. But, you know, if you look at things he did and you look at the damage, to, the brain damage he had, you know, and he changed over time from yeah. becoming a guy who maybe wasn't a great guy to someone who was much, much worse, you know, maybe you can draw a line there. But, uh, but science really can't do that. But we have to appreciate you give somebody brain damage, you're going to change them and not for the better. No, it's just uh, you, you, you're doing so many good things, though. And if, before we let you go, when you, if I was to give you a blank slate, and you were to sit down and say, uh, Joe, mom, and dad, their son wants to play football at 10 years old. What's your sales pitch to make sure they don't? Contact football. Yeah, yeah. Why do you not want your child playing tackle football at 10? So uh, I will tell you that all of our research is showing, whether it's CT or whether we just published on Lewy body disease that causes mm -hmm. Parkinson's, your risk of developing Robin Williams, them. right? Uh, this is more like probably what Muhammad Ali okay. had. That that you know he didn't. We used to, for a while we thought like um, Ali had uh, was punch drunk and he was calling it Parkinson's. Yeah. But then when when Dr. McKee and her team did the work and looked at a bunch of different brains, different brain banks, they found the correlation was with years of play, but it was it appeared independent from CT based on where the Lewy body disease was showing up, which causes all the motor issues. And so. A guy like Ali could have just had Lewy body disease or Lewy body disease and CTE, but the, the, the motor issues were potentially independently caused by a second disease caused by getting hit in the head. So you, your risk of getting these diseases goes up each year you play. Uh, it's also the worst possible time you can hit your child in the head. Uh, while their brain is going through magical development between 8 and 12, that's why you watch them go from thinking like a child to thinking like an adolescent and a mini adult. It's because their brain is literally rewiring itself. I would also say, can you imagine, would you ever hit your own child in the head 500 times over three months? No. And yeah, you'd never say yes publicly because you'd go to jail. So why is it okay for other children to hit your child in the head 500 times? It's not about who's hitting them, it's about them getting hit. So you take out the context of it, you should not hit your kid in the head 500 times while their brain's developing. And, and even to move away from the CTE risk stuff, concussions can screw up your life too. They screwed up my life. And giving a 10-year-old a concussion is a terrible thing, but beyond that, they have no chance to help themselves. So part of the problem I had with my concussions, I didn't, 
I didn't really know I was concussed, and I didn't know how serious it was, and so I lied about it for weeks, and I turned what should have been a quick recovery into a four, 15 years later, I'm still complaining about it. What chance does a 10-year-old have to self-recognize their own concussion and then have the guts to speak up to their coach or their player and say, I think I might be hurt. I'm going to come out. And if they have the, no ability to even understand what a brain injury is, then you'd probably want to give them the 31 medical professionals ever, at every NFL game, including three independent neurological consultants who still miss concussions. But we don't. We don't give 10-year-olds any medical professionals on the sideline, so there's no one there to help them when they're hurt. And so the odds of them actually having their injuries diagnosed are, are so small. So I just couldn't imagine a more dangerous scenario for a brain oh. than putting a helpless kid out there and asking him to run into people. And you can't teach them tackling. Like this whole, like, oh, we'll just teach them how to tackle right. Oh, we'll like, get them better helmets and all of that stuff. It, yeah. that, to me, helmet, it just yeah. seems like false security. Has there been any parents. improvement in the helmets? A little bit. I mean, you're, you're always get a little bit of improvement, but it's not going to solve the problems we need them to. And I'll, I'll give one, you know, I, I know you probably don't have enough tape for all my story, things I'm trying to say, but I'll keep oh, we going. We got it. Keep going. You, well, the, so one of the, I want to, if you're a, a, a sports parent, just think about this. When, when USA Hockey looked at whether or not they were going to raise the age of checking so they could A, make better hockey players, and B, make safer hockey players. They studied how kids were getting concussions at 11 and 12 years old and realized that the number one reason they were getting concussed is that they, they did not have the cognitive or motor abilities to both anticipate a hit, recognize a hit, and then move their body into a position in which they wouldn't get hurt. They said their brain is not developed enough to make, to make those steps. So they don't have the motor control. So we're just not going to hit them because they might have it at 13, but they definitely don't have it at 11 and 12. So that's what USA Hockey did with real research. Yeah. So imagine that same child trying to tackle a moving object and keep his head out of the tackle, especially when his head is a much larger percentage of his body size because your head grows before your body. So it's ludicrous to say that you could teach a child to tackle and then expect them to tackle a moving object and not get hit in the head. And if they do get hit in the head, you can't blame the kid. you got to blame the adult who told them to go tackle that child to the ground, who's trying to run them over or avoid them, and the kid doesn't know which one. So anyway, it's insane. It is. From a, from a, you know, seeing what this game can do to people, if you are going to play, let your child at least hit puberty. So they actually want to hit somebody. They have that testosterone in their body. So is 14 the optimal? Uh, yeah, age? I mean, no, 14 is the minimum. I mean, I don't know if there's an optimal. You know, if you have an NFL, uh, you know, uh, physique and body, wait, play college basketball and then go over. Some people do that. Antonio Gates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I would just say that, you know, the beauty about if we, the, solving this problem is if you want your kid to play high football, have them play four years in high school. They have a, less than a 1 in 20 chance of playing after that. Four years of high school football should not destroy your brain. No, that's it, it, I mean, it's not impossible, but it should It's a low bar. It's a <laughs> <laughs> four, playing four years of high school football should not destroy your brain. You know, but, but 20 years of football, from what we're seeing, you know, will severely affect your brain. Mm. Which is a very scary proposition. You know what the best thing about talking to Chris Nowinski is? Every time, education. He, every time he leaves, I feel a little smarter, which for me is very difficult. <laughs> That's from the brain cells leaking out of my ears. <laughs> you can pick them up and take them with you as a souvenir. But we simply cannot thank you enough. My pleasure, guys. I'm thank really proud to be on your podcast. 
cool. It's, uh, you guys well, at least doing you awesome have things. one Harvard person represented. Yeah, no, that's why I came. I wasn't going to come for you. Yeah. <laughs> of course that's why, not. That's why you had Shira ask me. I've I known you too long. I don't even have you. I, I said to Shira, he, he like gave me a false number or something. It was one of those deals. Like, the two of us, I think it's some Harvard We're the ones who are like cracking wise, like just goofing off. And yeah, you know, <laughs> you guys stick together. I get it. But where can we see you? Uh, any new media opportunities arising for you? Well, you know, I, I, the Intercom's been pushing the heck out of this. We, um, doing a suicide prevention sort of two-hour uh, deal September 9th. Uh, it's a Sunday morning, 7 a.m. What's what's cool is that you know they, they, we have a, a bunch of interviews with a bunch of cool people, like someone from Pearl Jam's in it, and somebody from all these different bands. And yet somehow I'm getting like higher billing with than them in the press releases. Which <laughs> and this is, is amazing. this is the connection between. CTE, right. and, well, concussions, concussions, and CTE, CTE and, suicide. and suicide. Yeah, we, we, there's a very strong link between concussions and suicide. We think there's a link between CTE and suicide, although we have to do more research to confirm the, the numbers. But yeah, so we're talking about you know looking out for people who've been who've had head problems that are causing them to go through potentially temporary depression or other issues, and being there for them because you know you can, you can help. And so you know the, the big mental health awareness push because I don't you know we hate. Every brain we get from a suicide, you know, it turns our stomach. We don't want them. We don't need them for research. We want these people to actually get help. Especially since you, when you hear those news reports of, of athletes who do commit suicide, they're sh often shooting themselves in the chest oh, yeah. so that, because they know there is something wrong with their brain and they want their brain studied. Yeah, that's a little troubling. So yeah. we try not to think about that too yeah. much. So, but that's, that's the next big radio thing. And then, you know, we'll have a ton of news coming out in September. A ton of, you know, everyone, everyone, things are sort of lining up for that. And then we have you know, October 25th in Boston, we have our uh, Concussion Legacy Gala. We'll Excellent. be announcing our two, our, our big two Hall of Famer honorees. Um, so, uh, concussionfoundation.org. Uh, you know, that you'll know, look at them and go, wow, they, they deserve it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can tell you, it's, um, it, it'll be Eric Lindros and Nick and Lynn Bonacani. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. And so we're, we're really hoping that, that Nick will... Uh, you know, it might, might be one of his last trips to Boston, so we're looking forward to seeing him. Eric Lindros has been a trailblazer in terms yeah. of concussion oh, yeah. awareness. Such an interesting journey his career has taken, you know, since from his, day one. Yeah, from right. day one and, and his early concussion issues. No, yeah. he's a real leader. You know, he's donated for $5 million personally to research. He's leading big efforts up in Canada, getting laws passed. I mean, he's like, he's become like a real, like, like the, the mover in the hockey world on this issue. Chris Nowitzki, Dr. Chris Nowitzki, you're doing great work. <laughs> thanks, Meter. Appreciate it. Both. Thanks so much for joining us yeah, on the Meter is Running. Shira thanks Springer, sure. always great to see you. It will not be another month. No. We promise. Yes, and at some point we have to do what's on your mind. Yes, we do. Are you, yeah, we'll let Nowitzki go. He's got. A, by yeah. the way, congratulations. 25 days old. 26 days old. I think she's now 26. Yeah. Whoa. Ken, little Kenzie is 26 days old today. That is. Wow. I can't wow. wait to get That's home. That's the best news of them all. <laughs> thank you very congratulations. much. Congratulations. Get your sleep. Which is <laughs> not you. not an easy thing. But we appreciate everybody, of course, listening to the meter is running. You can check us out on the Boston Podcast Network, 617pod.com, also on iTunes. Meter, how about uh, pod617.com? Did I just screw that up? Yeah, Satan? you did, no. but it's all right. We, 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 that's <laughs> it's why been we too got long, Dave. Dave. We got Dave, Dave over Came there. Came down with dyslexia there for it's a moment. It's been too long. Six, six, well, that fits too, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does, we'll, but it won't get him to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Google will, will direct him. That's probably a porn site. So do it. Well, pod six one seven. Wow, this, this conversation today is just zigged. It's kind zag. of a win win. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Pod six one seven. dot com. He's David Yaz, our producer. Special thanks to Kerry Tabaski as well, and the entire staff 
at Fenway Johnny's on Brookline Ave in the shadows of Fenway Park. We love being here. You should check them out great before food. or after a Red Sox game. Great food, great food. Didn't Larry Lucchino say that the chili was better than his mom's? I don't want to get I don't want to get Larry Lucchino in, in trouble, but he I did. think he said he that. He did. That was on the record quote. <laughs> yeah, it was on the record. From Larry Lucchino and of course David Yaz's birthday party, which will be like the Playboy party. And with oh, a yeah. potential kissing Thanks box, TBD, right? <laughs> yes. TBD. October 6th. TBD. Who knows That's what might so happen. Mature. Outstanding. <laughs> but for Chris Nowitzki and Shira Springer, I'm John Mita Perel. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Meter is Running. But you were encouraged to kiss if you went in there. That was the idea. Okay. okay. Oh, no. Uh, license and registration, please, sir. What's the problem, officer? Uh, well, son, lots of problems. You were, you were doing 115 miles an hour in a 35 zone. You have a blown taillight and a blown headlight. Uh, about a mile back there on the road, you ran over a whole family of deer uh, and some very cute bunnies. You appear to have several kinds of illegal explosive drugs and firearms in the back seat, not to mention there's a 300-pound bearded man who's bound and gagged back there for some reason. What do you have to say for yourself, son? Uh, if you log on to pod617.com, you can listen to some great podcasts and produce one of your own. Pod617.com, huh? Okay. Have a nice day, sir. At pod617.com, you'll find on-demand podcasts on politics, sports, music, and amazing storytelling. And pod617.com will produce a broadcast-quality show for you to promote your business or professional service. Listen to the voices of your city and join the community. Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Oh, uh, you know what? I uh, changed my mind. You're under arrest. Aw. Oh.